I am not Peter Garcia. And welcome, everyone here, if you're a guest here for the first time or returning to church for the first time in a long time, it's great to have you. We're glad you came here to the Lighthouse Church of Christ. And I actually work in the college ministry here at Lighthouse Church of Christ. We call it Boost Student Ministries. And here, uh, Peter Garcia is our lead evangelist. That was the gentleman that was just up here. And uh, I will be leading us through the third part of a multiple part series called Follow. And so if you guys missed the first two weeks or you're here for the first time, you could always go to our website at lighthousecoc.com. And if you guys go there, you could pick up on the last two weeks. And then I just want to let you guys know what happened in those first two weeks. Just kind of recap real quick to bring you guys up to speed because you guys are jumping into basically the, you know, you're one quarter of the way into the movie. And uh, we want to recap, just let you know, if you want to follow Jesus, there are prerequisites to following Jesus. And those prerequisites are, number one, you got to be a sinner. Okay, so hopefully we have a few of those in here today. Okay, you have to be a sinner in order to follow Jesus. That's the first prerequisite. The other prerequisite in order for you to choose to follow Jesus is you have to have trouble with your faith or trouble. You don't have to fully believe in order to follow Jesus, meaning that you might have problems with your faith and problems with your understanding and problems with your faith. So those are the two prerequisites that we covered. We saw some of Jesus' closest followers who struggled with those things and the people who Jesus spent time with. So today, we're starting part three, and that is fearless. And so we want to follow Jesus fearlessly. And the point of today, the problem that we're going to be addressing is what is the benefit of following Jesus? What's actually the benefit that we have here? What's the end game? What is the outcome that we're looking for? Or what was it that Jesus wanted? And some of us in here today, as I ask that question, you think you already know. You're like, oh, I got this. You know, the, the point of me following Jesus is that I want to be a better person. If I follow Jesus and I apply what Jesus says, I'm going to be a better person. That must be what Jesus wanted from me. Was Okay, our, our screens kind of got Tourette's here, okay? So do not be, if, if you have problems, don't look at the screen too long. It might, you know, affect you. So this thing's twitching around a little bit. But Jesus, when he walked around and taught, he didn't say, come and follow me so that you can be a better person. Because if you follow me, you're going to lead a better life and you're going to affect your community in a positive way. But we know that when we apply the teachings of Jesus, we become better people. And some of the greatest people that you and I know in our community are Christians. Some of the greatest people we know are sitting next to you on your left and your right because they're following Jesus. I, I would have to say that, you know, I, because of my decision to follow Jesus, I chose to follow Jesus 14 years ago. And because of that decision 14 years ago to follow Jesus, it's totally changed the outcome of my life. The direction, the trajectory of my life has completely changed because of that decision to follow Jesus. I would not be the person I am today without the guidance, the teaching, the principle, and the example of Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you will be a better person. But Jesus didn't walk around and say, follow me so that you can be a better person. He didn't walk around and say, why don't you follow me so you can go to heaven? I want you to go to heaven. You want to go to heaven? Follow me and you can go to heaven too. He didn't walk around and talk about that. He didn't walk around and preach that. He talked about the kingdom of God. He talked about his father in heaven. But he didn't say, when you follow me, if you follow me, you're going to go to heaven. That's the reward. It's like walking around saying, hey, everyone who follows me, you're going to get free Starbucks cards. You're going to get all this stuff. It's going to be awesome. He's not walking around giving out these things. He's not saying this. Now, if you follow Jesus, the idea is that you're going to go to heaven. And when I studied the Bible for the first time on February 21st, 
1999, I sat down and read the Bible, and it was like someone slid across to me a contract and said, look, do you want to go to heaven or not go to heaven? I was like, I want to go to heaven. I was like, I'm going to start following Jesus because I was not following Jesus up to that point. So a lot of us are following Jesus because we do, in fact, want to go to heaven. And I think many of us here want to go to heaven. But Jesus did speak to a man. Maybe most of us in here are probably familiar with this. But in Jesus' last moments before he dies on the cross, he's hanging on the cross next to some thieves. And one of these thieves, the thief on the cross, he's hanging next to this guy. And this guy says, Jesus, I deserve what I'm getting, but you do not. He recognized Jesus and his authority. He recognized who Jesus was. But this man had never followed Jesus before. This guy never spent a day of his life following Jesus. He was a bad dude. He was a thief, and he's, he's getting what he deserved, even in his own words. Dying on the cross, Jesus says, truly I say to you, I will see you in paradise today. And so he gives him a promise of something to come. He gives them a promise of, hey, there's good things waiting for you. You're gonna go to a waiting room before you go to heaven. It's gonna be awesome. You're gonna go to paradise. It's gonna be great. He gives him that promise. Now, the greatest thing that we could see out of that for those of us here who are Christians and those of us here who are here for the first time is look, at the last minute of this guy's life, he chose to follow Jesus. The very last moments of his life, he chose to give God honor and glory. And, and he had never followed Jesus before that. And he was dying. And he, all of a sudden at the last minute, Jesus was like, cha-ching, you're going to heaven. Here's your get, it, get out of jail free card. Here's your, you know, get into heaven free card. It's awesome. And for those of us in here that are transformed already because of Jesus, I want to let you guys know, because some of you might want to get up and walk out of the room, but look, this is Jesus, and this is the character of Jesus. This is the character of God that he wants to forgive people. Even at the last dying moment of their life, there's a principle that we can walk away with there. If you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet today, I, would, I just got back from Las Vegas. I would not be gambling with my life and hoping that I would be able to calculate the exact moment that I'm going to die in that last second before you get tossed. You know what I mean? Like when you're surfing and you wipe out and you're like, okay, here it comes again. Jesus, please be with me. Here I come to heaven. You know, I want to go be with you. You know, if you think you're going to be able to calculate that last moment, I give you the freedom to go ahead and live your life however you want. And hope that you're going to gamble and you're going to be able to select that moment and Jesus is going to do exactly what he did with a thief on the cross. But for the most part, we can see that Jesus wants us to follow him with our lives here today. And Jesus wants to take us to a place, but the place that Jesus wants to take us is not a place that says, if you follow me, you're going to be pain-free and problem-free. You're not going to live a lifestyle of following me, like come to me, because this kind of gets mixed in with Jesus' message. Like if you follow me, you're going to have no problems. You're going to experience no pain, no financial losses. You're going to experience great relationships. It's all going to be great. There's no problems in your relationships. You're not going to have any spouse problems. You're not going to have any kid problems. You're not going to have any boss problems or problems with your coworkers or problems with your anything. This was not the message. Follow me and you will experience a pain-free and problem-free life. What this is, if anybody starts to tell you, if you follow Jesus and you do X, Y, and Z, and here's the outcome every single time, what that's called when someone says, use this formula and here's the outcome, what that is, is that's called magic. Magic does that, okay? Magic is you do these three steps and this is the outcome. And the thing about magic is that all magic works some of the time. 
Magic will work. Like I could, you know, statistically, like we, we say something and we do this and, and people start to do it. And then sometimes the outcome is going to be like this. All magic works some of the time. My cousins who I spent time with in Las Vegas, it's really interesting because my uncle is like this super intelligent, successful businessman who's like on the front of Forbes magazine and every business magazine. This guy's like insane. And so his, they're, they're like the 1%. And his sons, they all gamble, okay? So I went out there to visit them, just kind of a little family reunion because they're from the East Coast. And he just got back. Uh, one of his sons just got back from Iraq, uh, Afghanistan. And so went over there, met him. They were playing uh, craps. And playing craps, they actually won $6,000. $6,000 in one night. In just an hour or so, they won six grand. But what my uncle explained to me, he does not buy into, he's like, you should not be playing that game because what's going to happen is over time, the house is going to win. You might win today, you're going to lose tomorrow, you're going to end up losing, losing, losing. All magic works some of the time. It's like gambling. If I were to tell you some formula to getting a job, like, I want, if you're jobless in here today, what we're going to do is I want you to wake up every morning and read the first two chapters of the book of Job and stand in your front door and then go out and look for a job. At the end of a month or so, there would be people who were getting jobs because they're going out and looking, they're reading the book of Job and I would, we'd start getting emails and we'd start sharing and then a bunch of people would say, hey, this really works. If we read this, we're all going to get jobs. And there's, there's something else like this. That's, that's called magic. That's called, there's a formula and all magic works some of the time because of statistics. And so let me introduce this guy to you. Anybody know who this is? This is a little figurine, okay? He's a little figurine, and his name is St. Joseph. Anybody know about this? Okay, anybody here in real estate? Any realtors in the house? Okay. Joseph, on Amazon, you could buy this little figurine, and this is the St. Joseph Carpenter Home Seller Kit. Okay, and it gives you little instructions where if you take St. Joseph and you bury him in your front yard when you're trying to sell your house, anybody know what's gonna happen? You're going to sell your house. You're going to sell your house if you bury that little plastic figurine out in the front yard. Now, what do we know about St. Joseph in the Bible? Like, he was, you know, there in the beginning, like, with, with Jesus' father, you know, and he was there. And like, then he vanishes from the scene, and there's, like, Joseph, like, Joseph the carpenter. There's not much in the Bible about him. But if you buy this plastic figurine and bury it in your front yard, you will sell your house. And you know what some people will do? They'll sell their house. Okay? But if you don't believe, it's not because it doesn't work. I mean, if, it, if your house doesn't sell, it's not because it didn't work. It's because you didn't believe. If you don't believe, it doesn't work, they say, right? Right. What, what are you laughing about, you unbelievers? Those are all unbelievers that, weren't laughing, that were laughing, okay? If you don't believe, it's not going to work. Well, you know what? There's always a sale with magic, okay? And someone is making money off that, and it's the person who's making the little $12.99 figure. But Jesus did not come to be your magician, Jesus didn't come here to be your magician. And Jesus didn't say, come follow me so that you'll live a pain-free and problem-free life. Come follow me so that you'll go to heaven. Come follow me so that you'll live a better lifestyle. And what we're going to do today is we're going to glance into this place that Jesus wants to take each one of us. And as Jesus wants us to take us here, we're going to look at a discussion that Jesus has with his inner circle of followers. Now, we're talking about following Jesus, and I think you're here today because you want to know more about that. Okay, so we want to follow Jesus. There was different levels of following Jesus. There was the people who would just show up, okay, out of like nowhere because they're like, hey, there's this guy, Jesus. It's like something going on. And they get together, and Jesus is doing stuff like 
supposedly healing people and feeding people. And he's preaching about the kingdom of God. And so these people would just show up. You know, they would follow Jesus around. They would, they would show up because they were in their town. And Jesus would come to that town. And they would come out to see him. So thousands of people in this crowd that were going out to see Jesus. And then there's the next level, which is Jesus followers, his disciples, who these people actually might go with Jesus from town to town. They, they had jobs, they had families, but they actually intended on going to be with Jesus. They might have supported financially, supported Jesus in his ministry because Jesus was a rabbi and Jesus actually had followers. And this wasn't uncommon at that time. Jesus wasn't the only rabbi or teacher who had followers. At that time, they did that. And so they would have a, even the next level of followers, which is called his apostles. Or some of you might refer to them as his disciples. But the closest inner circle of individuals, and that was like as a rabbi, had his little students, his little clique of students. And this clique of students, the inner circle, we're going to look at what he tells them. Because he's going to tell them, I'm going to give you power and authority to go out and preach. In Matthew chapter 10, we're going to look at what Matthew records about this conversation between Jesus and his closest followers. Now, when he tells his closest followers, I'm going to give you power and you're going to go out and preach, this is between Jesus and his followers. So all of us here, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're you know, here as a member or not, we're just listening in to Jesus' conversation between him and his closest followers. So he says, I'm going to give you this authority and here's some things that are going to happen to you, but I don't want you guys to worry because if you follow Jesus, these things are not going to be happening to you. So look in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. The first thing that he does is he gives them instructions, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that while you're going out. And he says here, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. I'm sure the disciples are like, you know, Matthew's writing this down. He's like, Whoa, he's like, okay, it kind of sounds like, you know, there's a storm brewing. It sounds like something's going to happen here. And so what he says here is, be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Flogged, that means he's gonna be, they're going to be whipped. They're going to be whipped in the synagogues. So they're going to be brought out and whipped. So Jesus is kind of forecasting what's going to happen to these guys. Now at this time, these guys had chosen to follow Jesus, chosen to be his inner circle, when they were asked to be on the inner circle, they're like, I'm in. Jesus is the man. Jesus is like healing people. You know, he's like handing out food. This is awesome. You know, they're like in on the inner circle and he's popular and it's going great. But he's forecasting that they're not going to be like, they're going to be punished. They're going to be flogged in the synagogues. And I'm sure at this point they all like stopped writing and, and just looked up and went, uh, what? What's going to happen? And he says here, on account on my account, you'll be brought before the governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And so this does happen because this is what happens in the book of Acts. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I hope that you can all leave here and start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's an account of Jesus' birth, his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then the book of Acts is like what happened to the Christians after Jesus left. And Jesus is like, these things were actually recorded in the book of Acts. And Jesus is saying, these things are going to happen. You're going to give a testimony of me and my resurrection, me and my life to all these kings and governors. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. He says, when they arrest you, arre arrest, I'm going to be arrested 
at this point, Jesus was the man. He had thousands of followers. People couldn't get enough of Jesus. People wanted to get close to Jesus. They were pressing in close to him. He would have to like get in a boat and go out because there's just so many people. Jesus was the most popular guy in town. And, it, and Jesus saying, hey, look, there's gonna time, a time is going to come where you're going to be flogged in the synagogues and you're going to be arrested. And many of these guys, eventually, this would lead them to their death. And Jesus is saying, look, dude, there's going to be a time when you're going to be arrested. You're, you're going to be in danger. You're going you're gonna to suffer physical pain on my account. Because you're following me, you are going to suffer. But do not worry. Don't worry. Hey, don't worry. You're going to be whipped. Don't worry. You are going to be whipped. You will be whipped and don't worry. Wait, don't worry and I'll be whipped or don't worry, I won't be whipped. Don't worry and they will arrest you. At that time, you will be given what to say. What to say. You know what I would like Jesus to say if I was these guys? At that time, you will be given a get out of jail free card. Not what to say. I want him to get me out of that situation. I don't want to suffer pain. I don't want to suffer. I don't want problems. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Here he says, you know what? The spirit of your father, your God, our God, our God is going to intervene at that moment. Don't, Don't worry. You will be flogged. You will be arrested. But don't worry, because at that time, God is going to help you to testify. God is going to help you to tell everyone how good he is. It's going to be great. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dude, this God, I want God to intervene, but not like that. I want God to intervene, like get in there and get me out of trouble. I want God to get in there and I don't care what I'm going to be saying because what I want to do is get out of jail and get out of pain and get out of my problems that I'm currently experiencing. So he says, at that time, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to Death. So he's forecasting what's going to happen during that time that people are going to be, you know, there's going to be children sending their parents to their own death because of Jesus. And he says here, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Because of me. It says, you guys are going to be hated. You might be like now, it's going well right now. The, you know, we got blue skies, no storms. In the, but you know what? There's going to be a day when you're going to be captured and flogged, you're going to be arrested, and you're going to be hated. But don't worry. There's nothing to worry about, okay, because God is going to give you what to say. They're going to be hated by everyone. And then he goes on a little bit further down, skipping down a few verses in verse 28. That was verse 22. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. All these things will happen. But don't be afraid. When you're arrested, when you're flogged, don't worry. Do not be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be afraid. If I was the disciples and I heard this, I would be afraid. If someone said you're about to go over the cliff and it's going to hurt, but don't be afraid. Okay, this sounds like I have something to be afraid of, Jesus. Jesus, what you're telling me here, I feel a little bit of fear. And the great thing about this and about the, the lesson today about the this topic of being fearless, this topic is even the disciples, they didn't get this. And so if you don't have this right today, the disciples didn't get this till the end of their lives. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one 
who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So here, this is, this is kind of like the bottom line. This is the end game. Jesus is not like, follow me so that you won't experience pain and problems. He's not, follow me so you can be in heaven. Follow me so you can live a better life. Although you will go to heaven if you follow Jesus and you will live a better life if you follow Jesus. The end game is, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. That Jesus wants to take us to a place that we're capable of trusting in God so much that even when we experience problems, even when we experience pain, even when there's someone or something that can take away our materials, possessions, or something from this material world, whether it's our security, our safety, it's our health, it's our financial status, it's relationships that we have here currently, because there's, we need to be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body and how we need to fear God and be aware that it's not about this material experience that we have here. Look what he goes on to say here. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Aren't like two birds like worthless? Can't you get them for like nothing? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Out of your father's care. He's talking about you're going to be, you're going to be flogged, arrested. Everyone's going to hate you. But don't worry. Do not be afraid because you know why? You have a heavenly father that you are so much more valuable than these material worthless things. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. God's value, our heavenly father, his value on your soul is so much greater than any of the stuff that we spend time worrying about. The things that you and I are afraid of, the things that you are thinking of right now, you're like, I'm afraid of that happening. I'm afraid of that happening. I'm afraid of that happening. We fear so much, but we're not supposed to be afraid because we're so much more valuable than those things that we're focused on fearing. So Jesus does not tell us here, don't be afraid because I won't let bad things happen. This was not the message of Jesus. Follow me. Don't be afraid because I won't let bad things happen to you. But that message, that magical message seems to get mixed in with Christianity. That it's almost like, hey, do good things and good things are going to happen to you like karma. You know what I mean? Be a good person and good things are going to happen. Not necessarily. That's not what the message was that he had for his disciples over and over and over again. He said, do not be afraid when bad things happen. Bad things will happen to you. Expect it. Expect difficulty. Expect persecutions. You know what? I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love those who persecute you. It's like, but Jesus, those people are my enemies and they persecute me. And he's like, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Don't be afraid when bad things happen. So Jesus wants to take us to a place that our faith is so strong that our circumstances will not phase us. He wants to take us to a place that no matter what happens to you in your life, no matter if you lose your job, you lose relatives, you lost everything, the forecast doesn't look good for you financially, politically, relationally, socially, that you guys are in a bad place. That you, Jesus wants to take us to a place that our faith is so strong and so overwhelming that it drives out all fear. That we would have a faith that overwhelms our fear. 
a faith that's so strong that it overcomes and overwhelms our fear. And so I love watching these disciples and watching him teach his disciples over and over and over again because they apparently did not understand this until the very end. And I want us to ask a question here today. I hope we can all get to the place that when we wake up in the morning, we ask ourselves this question. What would I do if I was absolutely confident that God is with me? That you wake up tomorrow morning as a high school student and the high school students wake up in the morning like, what would I do today in my high school if I was absolutely certain that there was a God, a heavenly father that loves me and there's nothing to fear, there's no one to fear and that my heavenly father has a plan for my life. If I was absolutely confident that God was with me, I woke up as a single professional and I was going to my work tomorrow morning. I was gonna go work hard. I was gonna do you know, hard work, construction, or in an office, in a cubicle, in a schoolroom. that you're gonna go out as a single professional. What would I do today in my job if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? If you're leading a family and you have young children, you have older children, you ask this question, what would I do if I was absolutely confident that God is with me. When we spend time with family members, I was asking myself that question as I spent time in Las Vegas with family members who I care about and love that are not following Jesus and are not convinced that Jesus raised from the dead. What would I do if I was absolutely confident that God is with me? And so I want us all to get to that place. And I wanna show you again a situation where his disciples apparently did not understand. Jesus had done great things. He was teaching people. He was, you know, resurrecting people from the dead, healing people, feeding people. And he gets done with his preaching and he's so exhausted. And he gets in this boat and they're going across this huge sea. And out at sea, his disciples with him, some of them are fishermen, some of them know how to swim, but a huge storm hits them. And Jesus, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, Jesus was taking a nap in the back of the boat. I love that because despite what was going on around Jesus, Jesus was capable of taking a nap. I have three kids that are under five years old and there's a lot of like, you know, turmoil that can happen in my life. I could feel like the cadence is really high and, you know, Jesus was capable of taking a nap in the back of the boat. Maybe some of you guys can appreciate that, but Jesus was back there. The disciples were filled with fear. They were so afraid that they feared a great fear that they were all going to drown. Even the fishermen who knew how to swim were afraid that they were going to drown. And so Jesus stands up, they wake Jesus up and they're like, Jesus, help us. Jesus stands up, calms the storm. Jesus just flattens the water and then it's like glass on the water with no wind and they're floating. And then this is what happens. Check this out. You of little faith, you of little faith. Okay, I'm, I'm in the, totally telling you a story that's not happening right here. Rewind. Matthew chapter 6. Let me tell you what happens at the end of Matthew chapter 6. Okay, here in Matthew chapter 6, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is like, do this, don't do that. Woe to you. He's going on, giving them instructions. And then at the end of this, many of us here are familiar with this passage that Jesus is talking about seeking his kingdom first. He says, you of little faith, you of itty bitty faith, do not worry saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? Okay, and his disciples are like, but Jesus, we have nothing to eat. Where are we gonna get our next meal? What's gonna happen next? 
this is something for us genuinely to be concerned about. And Jesus is like, I know what you need. I'm Jesus. I know what you need. I know what your needs are. He says, the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. That everybody else is concerned about these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But why do you have such little faith? Why do you not believe? Why do you not trust what your father says? Jesus is taking us to a place that he wants our confidence in God to be so great that even in the midst of circumstances that everybody else around us is afraid, you do not fear. When everybody else in our political situation is afraid that we might bomb another country, when everyone's afraid about what countries might have nuclear weapons, when everyone else is afraid because there's Democrats being elected into the House and Republicans elected into the Senate, that you are like, dude, you know what? Or maybe you're happy with what's going on in the state of our society today, and you're like, but you're afraid of what might change in the future politically. Or you're afraid of your situation with your job. Or you're afraid of the situation that you have in your health. That when everybody else around you is afraid of what's going on in the environment around us, that we have such great confidence and trust in God that we're capable of standing firm. And now we get to the point in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus gets in a boat and calms a storm. And after he calms this storm, he stands up, talks to his disciples, and he said, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? These guys had been with Jesus for a long time. Do you still have no faith? They had seen things done. You're like, dude, if, if these guys couldn't believe, we're here now. How? Dude, how is this gonna, I'm like, dude, I'm not even close to these guys. I'm like way, way, way down on another level. Why are you so afraid of what this storm can take from you materially? Why are you so afraid of what's gonna happen to your body? Yeah, some of you might die. I'm Jesus, I get that, I know. But why are you so afraid? Jesus, didn't you just see the storm? It's okay. Do you have no faith? Where is your faith? And they were terrified. The storm had already passed. The storm was gone. And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They were not afraid at that point of the material storm that can take their lives. They were afraid of the one. They were afraid of the one who had power over soul and spirit. They were afraid of the one who had the power. Why does Jesus want to take us to this place that we understand this? Why does Jesus want us to get to a place where our faith is like this? That we're a place that it's like we are not afraid of what's going to happen because overwhelming faith honors God. Overwhelming faith, this is the place that Jesus wants to take us. Every one of us in here, wherever you're at in your faith walk, Jesus wants us to get to a place that we have overwhelming faith because this is what honors God. Because when we have overwhelming faith, it frees us to love. When you have overwhelming faith, you're willing to get in a boat that you're basically packing your coffin with your clothes because you do not know if you're going to come back. That's what people did in the past who were missionaries. That you take off and go to Africa. You take off and go to, you know, Southeastern Asia. That you take off and you go to the South Pacific Islands or Southern America. South America, that you guys take off and you just go. 
because you're not afraid and you know that you might not come back. You know that while you're out there, you might die. You will get sick. Absolutely, you're gonna get sick. There might be people who threaten your safety. You might lose everything that you have because when we have overwhelming faith that there's a heavenly father who cares about us, it frees us to love other people and it frees us to be giving. It frees us to be generous. It frees us to give of our time and we're not afraid of what's going to happen. And a disciple who was loved by Jesus, who spent his life with Jesus and he died an old man, John writes to us. And as he saw and witnessed all these things, as an old man, he writes to us in 1 John chapter four, that there is no fear in love, but perfect or complete mature love drives out fear. That you're not gonna be afraid of what might happen because there is no fear in the love that you understand that God has for you and the trust that you have in that love that God has for you, that it drives out all fear that you might have of what people might be able to take away from you. Have you guys ever met somebody like that? Have you ever met anybody like there's someone, maybe there's someone sitting next to you in the row right now, because I'm gonna be honest with you, this room is full of some of the most generous, most faithful, most incredible people in our community. And someone sitting next to you might be like this, the kind of person that goes, hey, yeah, it's not going well. It was a total loss, but you know what? I think God's really up to something here. You know what, it went bad, but you know what? God has never left his throne. You know what, it was a total loss, but you know what, I trust God. I know God's doing work right now. Have you ever met somebody like that that's just so faithful and so like just trusting in God that you might say like, oh my gosh, like what are they taking? Or, or maybe they actually need to take something because they're not well, because they just trust in God so much. Have you ever met anyone that was just so faithful in this way that it just astonished you? And... And you're like, well, they just, they're not too smart. They're just dumb. They're just, they're just not as smart as I am. I just, I have more information available to me than they have. They just don't get it because the outcome, it doesn't look good. I've already determined that this is not going to go well for them. The situation is bleak. The person, their, their family member is going to die. They're going to die. And this is just a coping mechanism that they're using. And I'd say, you're wrong. They just trust in God. It's not that they're not informed. It's not that they're delusional. It's not that they're hoping that the problem or the pain is going to go away, but they trust in their father, in their heavenly father. And that's the place that Jesus wants to take us. He says, follow me. I wanna take you to that place where you trust in God so much that no matter what happens, no matter what the forecast looks like, no matter what the, the outcome is gonna be, that you're gonna trust in God the same way that one of our children, that we would want our children to say, you know what? I don't know what my dad's up to right now, but I trust him. I don't know what's going on or why he's not here right now, but I trust him. He's gonna do what he said he's gonna do. I trust what God's doing. I trust what my father's doing. I know that what he's doing, that we can trust his plan. And someone who had this down so well, who's just like me or you, who he did not meet the pre-resurrected Jesus. He did not know Jesus in Jesus' lifetime. 
is a guy whose name was Saul, and he was a Jew, and he ended up becoming a follower of Jesus after interacting with Christians and then interacting with a resurrected Jesus. And Paul, this guy writes this in Romans chapter 8. And in Rome, you don't want to be a Christian in Rome because why in Rome, what are they doing? This is like the center of the empire. This is like the capital. And here in the capital, you know what they're doing? They're throwing Christians to lions. They're putting them in the center of the Colosseum to be gladiators and to fight against gladiators and to fight against one another. You don't want to be a Christian in Rome. And Paul, who had never met the pre-resurrected Jesus, he writes this letter in Romans chapter 8. And I want you guys to see what he says to them. He says, and we know, we know, we think, no, we know, we hope, no, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. He was not like just sort of hoping. He was like, guys, look, I know that you might get eaten by a lion, shredded to pieces, torn apart, you know, might be arrested, might be flogged, might be crucified. But you know what? We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, that God never has left his throne, that he is a king who's sitting on his throne. And no matter what happens, he is there and he is your loving father and he knows what you need. And he goes on to say, who shall separate us? Who here can separate us? Who here can take from us the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Can any of these things separate us? from the love that our Father has for us, for the one who has the power to save us or the one who has the power to put us into hell. Can anything separate us from the love that God has? And maybe we could add some more things to that that you might be feeling. Can joblessness, prodigal children, diminishing health, unfaithful spouses, dishonest bosses, financial losses or political uncertainty, can any of these things separate us? Can the foreign policy of the United States of America, can that separate us? And some of us are so scared and we're so overwhelmed with fear all the time. And Jesus wants to take us to a place where we totally trust in God. And we wanna to go to this place that Paul understood. You might say, Chris, I'm sorry, but I'm just not there yet. I'm just coming back to church. Or you don't understand my situation. Or I'm here for the first time today. You don't know what it's like. You might not be there yet. But again, the good news is, you know what? I'm not there yet either, okay? We are getting there. We together are going there. This is where Jesus wants to take us. Even his disciples didn't get this. And so this is the journey that we're on. And this is what it means to follow. That we, when we join Jesus, when we decide to join Jesus and to follow Jesus, we are on a pathway to spiritual maturity. And we are headed towards God. We are headed in this direction to this place that Jesus wants to take us, but he wants us to follow him. And that we would get to a point that we know that in all things, God is at work. And in John chapter 16, he writes here, 
this is, this is the end game. This is where we're going. We're going to close out with this, that this is where Jesus is going with us. This is the place that he wants to take us. And this is as we close out and we pray today. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, Jesus promises us we will have trouble. It's not going to be pain-free. It's not going to be problem-free. Yes, we want you to go to heaven. Jesus wants you to go to heaven. Yes, I think you're going to live a better lifestyle and be happier overall if you follow Jesus. But the place that he wants to take us is that we'd have peace. Follow Jesus and have peace because we trust in our Father who knows our needs and he wants to take care of us. We want to take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. And in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, as we go to God, we're going to pray for our communion and his resurrection is what we can stand on, what we can sit on. Just like I could sit on this stool and I could put my hope that this stool will not fall over. I'm going to sit on it, that we could stand, that we can sit, that we can put our full weight on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we go to God right now, I'm going to pray for the communion and we'll be passing around uh, our emblems, which will have the bread and the wine. Feel free to take it. And uh, we're going to go ahead and pray. And then I think we're going to have uh, some, some closing song here. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to just see how Jesus is trying to take us to a place. God, please help us to have the grace to understand that place that you want to take us. Father, please help every one of us in here today from those of us here who have just begun to those of us here who have been here for many years. Father, please guide us to understanding this place and help us to wake up every morning and just say, what would I do today if I was certain that you were with me? God, be with us today. Let us be certain as we take this, the bread and the wine that you'd be with us as we take this, bless the bread and the wine. Let us remember the death, burial, resurrection today of Jesus Christ. And that is what we put our full hope in and our full confidence. God, we know that you are always at work in all things. Be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.